So we're visiting this other church as it's common and um, customary for us back in Jamaica to visit sister churches and churches of like faith when they invite us to special events. So we were there, and then on our way back, we're on the church bus, and a call, someone in the, in the bus got a call, and it wasn't a very pleasant call. It was a call that there was a, has been a shooting in the vicinity of our home church, and it was close. In fact, it was next door to the, the bus driver's home. So everybody was panicking. It was frantic on the bus. People were just petrified, nervous. It got to our stop, or close to our stop. We were supposed to be dropped off right in front of my house. But the bus driver thought it necessary to leave us hanging some distance away. And his wife said, you can't leave them here. And he's like, no, no, they're fine. And of course, being men and brave men, we're like, oh, we're good. We're, we're so good. We're fine. We're petrified. We were absolutely terrified because we know the dangers that lurk ahead. Nobody was on the streets, and it was not even that late. I think it was like 7, 8 o'clock in the Sunday, after, in Sunday evening. Nobody, not even a dog, a stray dog was on the streets. So we were there and we were acting all brave and walking at normal pace because neither of us wanted to run to make the other one look like they're a chicken. (laughs) Knowing that at any point the guys that, because it was the shooting, by the way, just to put things in context, was our guys or the gang members from our community, that's where I live, where we're walking into, went to my, the neighborhood where my church is and did a reprisal shooting, and they killed an, an individual of the opposing gang. We know that these guys could come, and if they catch us, they don't care. They won't care if we're a part of the gang or not. They're going to make our due justice with us. Or, if we see flashing lights, we can't even say, oh, we can breathe a sigh of relief because the cops will think, oh, you guys were the ones who did it. So they, and they wouldn't cuff us, throw us in the back of the car. They would, all of a sudden, the report would be there was a shooting, they returned fire, and we got killed. So we were petrified because the dangers that lie ahead of us, and let me tell you, Westmount, to this day, I've never prayed that much in my entire life because I know and I knew my friend, I only heard from him the next day this, but we both knew that there's no one here to help us. There's nothing that we can look to for help. Our destination, our mind, in our minds, we were eager to get home, to get the door closed behind us so we can feel safe. But Before we get to that point, we had to cry out for help, and we were not doing it audibly, but we were praying. We were seeking God for help. God, please, let us get home safe. And of course, after I got home, my friend still had quite a bit of jaunt to do, and that made me so restless for a couple hours laying there thinking, is he home safe? Is he home safe? And again, I went to God 
in prayer, praying that God will keep him, that God will be his help. Well, the psalm that we're going to look at this after this morning, and it's very familiar, Psalm 121. Many of us know it by heart. We can quote it without looking. We, some of us, if we're familiar with our Bibles, we can say this page of this chapter. You know, you know that, that's how familiar it is with us. But the psalm that we're going to be looking at, Psalm 121, the psalmist was facing a similar Maybe not as intense, I don't know, it would have been, I'm sure, for him, but a similar situation where he's going on a path, it's called a psalm of ascent, meaning he's heading up. He's going up somewhere, hence why he says, I'm looking towards the hills. I'm looking towards the hills. But he knew that there are dangers, there are many dangers that could befall him, and we're going to come across those as we make our way through these few verses. But he knew there were many dangers that awaited him. And he knew that there was only one person, one being, that he could look to for help. And that person wasn't any ordinary person. This psalm is described by some theologian as a classic beauty, and really it is. And it speaks of time, it speaks of nature, it speaks of eternity, but it also speaks of a God who is through all of this, who is there with the psalmist, who is there with his people through time, through, through nature, because he is an eternal God. So the question that I want to pose to you this morning as we get into this text is, where do you look for help? In my predicament, I had no other option. I had to go to God. I had to cry out to God. My friend had to cry out to God. If there were other options, God would have been our last resort as it's our human nature. So where do you look for help? You can picture in your mind's eye whatever situation, whether dire or minor, that you need assistance with. Where do you look for help, especially when you're facing danger? Who do you look to? Who do you look to when the concerns of life are about you? The psalmist asks, and he answers this all-important question. And I want, again, we sung it, but let us read it together as we look at Psalm 121 and we look at verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Father God, I pray that your words will speak to our hearts and minister to us, and may we be comforted. And by the end of this passage, by the end of this sermon, Lord, that the same confidence that the psalmist experienced after looking at the trials and the dangers ahead, but looking at the one who is in control, that we will come to that same confidence and trust 
in the God whom we serve. God, I pray you speak to your people and speak through me, Lord. Minister to our hearts today, for Christ's sake. Amen. So we ask that all-important question. I look to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. And the first thing I want to highlight from these two verses as we make our way through is God, God's help. God's help is available to you, to you, Westmount, when you face danger. His help is available. The psalmist said, my eyes are on the hills. And this is it perhaps looking not for the hills for help, but looking to the God of the hills. He's looking to Yahweh. He's looking where God's presence is. There's an idea, or many theologians would argue that this psalmist is making his way up to Jerusalem, to the temple, and it would make sense. But that is where his eyes are fixed on. As the dangers lurk around him, he's fixated on not the hills, but his his eyes are fixed on God. And he's also in this implying here that there is something different about this God that he's looking to. There's this, as theologians term it, the transcendency of God. So he's not confined to temples. That's what that big word means. He's not confined to this building. He's not confined by anything in nature or the universe. He's he's bigger than that. He's outside of that. He's far more vast than the universe. And that is who he's looking to. The transcendent God is looking to him. And what I like about the ESV version is it makes us a, a, a question. The King James is, makes it a statement. And when you read this passage, these verses in the King James, it seems as though the psalmist is saying his help comes from the hills. But that's couldn't be further from the truth because that's not where his help comes from. His help comes from God himself. He is fully dependent on God while he makes this ascent to wherever he's going, assuming it's Jerusalem or wherever it is he's going. But his dependence is on God because he realizes that he is not the captain of his fate. He's not the one in control of his fate, just like my friend and I realize. At any moment, something could happen and he falls into peril and it could be dire. He knew that God was the only one that can sustain and keep him. His eyes are fixed on not the hills, but the ones who, the one who created these hills, the ones who, the one who is bigger than these hills. His eyes are fixated on the God who created, and he says in verse 2, the God who created the heaven and the earth. I will lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from Yahweh. My help comes from the Lord. Who is this Lord? Is the same God that revealed himself to, to us in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. That is this God who he is looking to. And he's fully confident, 100% confident that this God can see him through danger. God's help is available. He knows it. 
when he's facing danger. The psalmist's eyes are lifted to the maker of the hills. His eyes are fixed on the creator of everything. His eyes are lifted to the one who is not confined to these hills or temple or any human location. His eyes are fixed on the one who is lofty, as Isaiah describes him in Isaiah 6. He's high and lifted up. That's who this psalmist's eyes are fixed on. He's fixed on the Lord. Why? Why is he looking to God? Well, it's obvious Because that's where his help comes from. That's where his help comes from. That's where help is available in times of danger, in times of trial. And that, folks, is where your eyes, that's where my eyes need to be. We look too much at things around us. We look too much on the dangers that are lurking ahead. And that is why sometimes God forces us in a corner where we can't do anything but look up. Similar to that of the Israelites when they were making that exodus, they came across the Red Sea. And there was a Red Sea before them and mountains on either side. And behind them was Pharaoh's army barreling down on them. And that led them to look one place and that was up. Looking to God. Is your eyes fixed? Is your eyes fixed on your favorite news channel, whatever that news channel is? Is your eye, is that where you go to find aid? Or is it the latest how to deal with book or article or pamphlet? Is that where you go for help? Do you look to man-made objects? as your source for help, or do you look to God? And if you look to God, is he the last resort? Is he, okay, how to fix this problem for dummies book? Don't really answer my question, so I'm going to go and see what God says about it. Is that our attitude in life? And if we're honest, if we're brutally honest, for many of us, that's how we operate. And as I said with my friend and I, if there were other options, we wouldn't be praying so fervently as we made that trip home. We'd be looking to those help and those sources of help. Your answer to these questions might be, of course, it's 100% God. Who else? Who else? But your actions might speak otherwise. Your actions might be saying, I'm looking to to my news channel, I'm looking to my favorite politician, I'm looking to my favorite celebrity, or whatever it is, or whoever it is, or whatever book or article. The psalmist knew his help only comes from God. He couldn't rely on the majestic mountain range that he was looking at, but he knew he could rely on the majestic God that made these majestic mountains. That's who his eyes were fixed on. That's where his help comes from. And Westmount, that is where your help comes from. God's help is available when you face danger. 
but he's also watching over you when you face danger. Look at verses 3 to 6. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He has to repeat this. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade upon your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day or the moon by night. He says, Yahweh, the God who created all this, is my keeper. Did you notice that in eight verses, in eight verses, the word keep or keeper is mentioned six times? Did you, get, did you catch that? You can count it if you wish. Six times. It speaks volume to the confidence that the psalmist has in the God whom he served to protect him and to keep watch over him even amid danger. Six times. And what I want you to note about these, this word, keep, is that it's never in the context of the psalmist saying, I'm keeping myself. Or I've kept myself. It's God keeping me or God is my keeper. He is the one who preserves. He is the one who's keeping active watch over you. And this is the language of a shepherd tending the sheep. This is shepherd language. This is, these verses are similar to Psalm 23. He provides stability. Yahweh provides stability for you. Your feet will not be moved. And the imagery here is going up those rugged terrain. There are loose rocks and at any moment his feet could slip. And that could be a broken foot or a sprained ankle or even worse, he falls over a precipice. And the psalmist is saying, that won't even happen to me because God is watching over me. God is keeping me. God is preserving me on my way to this hill. My feet, as much as these rocks are slippery and are loose, they will not slip. I will stand firm because of the God who is watching over me. And if his readers didn't get how intricately God is watching over his people, he says, God, this God doesn't sleep, folks. And he's, he said, in case you missed it, let me say it, he doesn't slumber, he doesn't sleep. And when I read this, I'm mindful of Tom and Jerry, for those of us who are familiar with that cartoon, in an episode where Tom was just beyond exhausted. And he's trying his hardest to stay awake. And he's supposed to be watching, I don't remember if he was watching a food or just watching for Jerry to come out so he can pounce. And the, ma- the, the cat was doing everything in his power to stay awake. He was taping his eyelids. He was using toothpicks until he just gave in and said, you know what? I'm just going to paint circles over my eyes when they're closed to make it seem as though I'm on guard and I'm on watch while I- he's just fast asleep. Folks, that is not the God that the psalmist is describing here. The God whom we serve isn't going to say, okay, it's morning, I need my fix of coffee, I need my fix of Timmy's or McDonald's so I can get through this day. 
I need my can of Red Bull or five-hour energy so I can prolong throughout this long, dreary day that's ahead of me. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God that is being described in Psalm 121. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep, which means you are eternally watched by God, even though we're not eternal beings, because he's an eternal God. That is significant. And that so intricately he is watching over you. The psalmist says, this God, the creator God, he keeps, he preserves, he sustains an entire nation. He keeps Israel What is he implying there? If this God is so mighty that he can keep an entire nation, he can do it for an individual. He can do it for me. That is what the psalmist is saying. He can do it for me. He provides protection over the dreaded elements, the scorching heat from the sun, The dangers that may lurk at night, and this would involve thieves and wild beasts and whatever other dangers that might be lurking in the shadow and everything that is in between. He provides protection over you. You will face dangers in this life. The psalmist is not, and if you read the psalm and think, Oh, I shouldn't have issues in life. I should just breeze through life until God calls me home. You're, you're grossly misinterpreting the text. You will have faced dangers in this life. You will be exposed to many dangers in this life, like the psalmist, and even possibly like what my friend and I uh, went through. But the one thing that ought to bring peace In your hearts, in your soul, is the fact that God's watchful care is constantly on you. He is constantly watching over you. And like the psalmist repeated six times, he is keeping you. He is preserving you. And like even David when he said, even though I walk through that valley of the shadow of death, what does David conclude? I will not fear. Why? Because he's a bold, mighty man who killed Goliath and have slain 10,000 and people song about that. No, no, because God is with him. God is with him. That is where David's strength comes from and that is why David could say, "I, I, I have no reason to fear. Why should I fear when I am serving and the all powerful God is watching over me? And the same applies for us, Westmount. The same applies for us. Why should we walk through life in fear and terror when we have the Almighty God watching over us, keeping us, preserving us? If you're here, you're not saved. You need the protection of God. Not only from physical harm, but eternal damnation. And God provided 
the, the, the remedy for that in Jesus Christ. Sending him to suffer and die so that you don't have to suffer. So that you don't have to experience that second death. And all he requires, all he asks of you is that you surrender your lives to him today. Don't put it off. Don't say, you know what, tomorrow or next week or next year, I want to accomplish all of these magnificent things in life before I commit my ways to him. No, do it right now. Do it right now. God, God's, his, God's protection is available when you face danger. It's available. He helps you when you, you face danger. He's watching over you, Westmount, even amid the dangers that come your way. But his watch care also guarantees eternal, and I want to emphasize that, eternal safety, not absence from physical harm. His watch care provides or guarantees eternal safety, not absence from physical harm. Seven and eight, the Lord will keep you from all evil. And again, we read that and we think, but, but there it is. I shouldn't be going through difficulties in life. I shouldn't face dangers in life. I shouldn't have trials. I shouldn't have any issues at all in life because it says it in verse 7, he will protect me from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What I, a better uh, word for life would, would be, and some translations do have it, is soul. He will preserve your soul. And the implication there is the psalmist knows, you know what? My foot might slip if God allows it because he's sovereign. I might, get, I might pass out from the heat from the sun. The night I might get mauled by a wild beast or thief might rob me and beat me to death. But if any of these things happen, my soul is secure because God made that sure. God made that certain. So none of these dangers, none of these perils can ever, ever cause me to be separated from my God. Because he has eternally secured me. And nothing can change that. And nothing will ever change that. Again, this verse should not be taken to mean that we're not going to face evil, face danger, face trial. Because we all have stories of things that we've gone through and things that we've faced. Our understanding of being kept from evil and God's understanding are sometimes, and even I would argue all the time are on total different wavelengths. The psalmist made it clear he will preserve my soul. And that is far more important than preserving the physical. And I'm not saying, folks, that we should not take care of our bodies. Um, Paul says a bodily exercise profits a little bit. So Paul didn't knock bodily exercise for the gym rats who are in here. 
No offense with that terminology. But we are so consumed with preserving this, this outer thing, this thing that is perishing and this thing that is decaying and will continue to decay regardless of how great our diet is, regardless of how much time we spend in the gym. No matter what we do, folks, this is decaying and we spend far too much time preserving the outer shell than we do to preserve the soul, our own souls, to feed our souls as Christians and to make sure that those who are not saved, that are not Christians, that are not in Christ, their souls are preserved because we spend far too much time trying to preserve this, the perishing, the outward man. Have you ever noticed, and I don't know how it is here, And I hope it's not this way here. But most churches, they spend hours, every prayer meeting, whether it's Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning, the majority of the time spent in prayer is for sick people. And I believe it was Adrian Rogers that said, we spend, believers spend more time praying to keep Christian out of heaven than we do spend to keep unsaved people from going to hell. And he is absolutely right. We stub our toe and we go fasting and prayer. We have to pray for a brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And folks, there's nothing wrong. We are supposed to pray for each other for everything. But there has to be that balance. And there has to be a priority that is placed on the soul. And the psalmist said, you know, I don't, yes, God is protecting me and he's watching over me. But even if I fall and I die, I'm going to be in his presence because my soul is secure. And that's all that mattered to him. And that's what should matter to us. We look at temporal things far too much. And God focuses on the eternal. We look at things from a surface standpoint. And God looks deeper than that. We look at, you and I look at disasters and diseases and death and catastrophe and disappointment as dreadful things. Be honest, don't show your hands, just answer within yourself. How many of us have ever watched the news and see a tsunami or a, or a tornado and say, oh, that was awesome, thanks be to God that that happened. That's not our human interaction. Of course we're saddened by the lives that are lost and the possession. But all of these things, folks, God uses for his purpose and for his glory. We can't see it at times. And I'll use one illustration with you. In 2010, there was a massive earthquake, and we, I'm pretty sure you would have remembered it for those who are of age to remember. Massive earthquake that hit Haiti in 2010. Hundreds of thousands of people died. And you watch the news, and all you see and hear about are the dead bodies and, and how things are getting worse and worse. And, and yes, that needs to be reported. Until we had a missionary group that came to our Bible school 
And so what the news isn't reporting is the hundreds of thousands of people that are being saved. Which, and this was a, an axe scenario where witch doctors are literally burning their scrolls in public because they've been converted to Jesus Christ. Why was this happening? Because the earthquake hit and they realized they need to surrender to the all-powerful God. Yes, there was distress and, and dread that came off it. But lives and souls were saved because they realized the awesome power of God in those events. Your soul comes, comes what may, will be kept by God. No evil, no evil one, no despair, nothing can snatch your soul away. And that's why Paul in the end of Romans, and I believe he just burst out into song. I can't picture Paul as being a very singy individual But I just always, when I read the end of Romans, and he's saying, what can separate us from the love of God? And he makes that long list. And all of this and none of these, none of these things can snatch us away from God. Our souls are kept. Whether you are going out, whether you're coming in, And any time in between that, eternally, you are in the arms of God, safe and secure if you are a believer. This is the help you and I need. This is the help that this country needs. This is the help that this world needs. And this help is available Because God has made it available. Again, unsaved friends. And even believer, if you're struggling in your faith, I urge you, I encourage you, cry out to God like the psalmist did. Cry out to him like my friend and I did when we're facing distress. And we're facing despair and we don't know what lies ahead in terms of the dangers that are lurking in the shadows. Cry out to God and ask for help. He's there to help. He will help. The psalmist starts off in verses 1 and 2, deeply concerned. If you notice that emotional tone in the psalm, he's concerned, like my friend and I, making this ascent to, let's say, Jerusalem. Because he knows what lies ahead, and obviously he's made that journey before, so he knows exactly what's ahead of him, the dangers that lie in wait. And he was deeply concerned, but by the time you get to verse 3, to the end of the, the book, the end of the chapter rather, it's from concern to complete and utter confidence in the God whom he served. I do pray that this is how we're feeling. We may have started, we may have come here concerned about life and concerned about struggles and dangers and trials in our lives. But I do pray that at this point, Westmount, that we are fully confident in the God whom we serve, knowing that he will watch over us and he is watching over us. That is available to us while we're going through danger all the time. May he strengthen us. May he give us the grace 
and the confidence to look to him, to cry out to him, to plead to him. That's why he calls us sons and daughters, because he expects his children to go to their daddy, if I can use that term. Cry out to him. Your help, my help, comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from our brilliance. It doesn't come from our ability to navigate so effortlessly when we're driving on the streets. It doesn't come through these politicians, whether left, right, center, or any other positioning. It doesn't come through the media or anywhere else. It comes from God. And I pray that we will remember that as we go throughout the remainder of this week, that that's where our help comes from and that's where we need to be looking. Father God, we thank you so much for the reminder in this psalm that our help, Lord, doesn't come from the hills, but comes from the one who created the hills. Lord, it doesn't come from self. It doesn't come from people that are around us, even though you can use them. But Lord, in general, by default, our help comes from you. God, may we, as your people, not hesitate to cry out to you for help like the psalmist. And with that cry, Lord, be bursting with confidence, knowing who we serve, the creator of this world, the sustainer God, the God who keeps, who watches over us, who preserves us, who is eternally caring for us. Lord, give us the grace and the strength to have this attitude in our lives. Come what may, for Christ's sake. Amen.